0: for healing with that. Um, I wanted to start today with a, a joke I heard recently, and uh, I just asked, if you don't find it funny, just laugh anyways, uh, so that, you know, I feel better at least. Um, but it's, a, it's I think it's pretty funny, and it's, it's kind of a little uh, disturbing at the same time, but it's also acutely, I think, accurate to a situation we can find ourselves in as God's people. It goes something like this. A man writes, I was walking in San Francisco along the Golden Gate Bridge when I saw a man about to jump off. I tried to dissuade him from jumping and told him simply that God loved him. A tear came to his eye. I then asked him, are you a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu or or what? He said, I am a Christian. I said, me too, small world, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too, what denomination? He said northern baptist. I said me too. That's amazing. Northern conservative baptist or northern liberal baptist? He said northern conservative baptist. I said I don't believe it. Me too. Northern conservative fundamentalist baptist or northern conservative reformed baptist? He said northern conservative fundamental baptist. I said remarkable. Me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist eastern region. He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, it's a miracle. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. At that, I pushed him off and said, Die, heretic. (laughs) Like I said, funny, a little disturbing, but yet pretty accurate. Isn't it amazing that in the body of Christ, we can be so separated? Isn't it amazing that in Christ we cannot have unity. You see, it's kind of interesting to me because unity in Christ means exactly that. There's always unity in Christ. When we're not in Christ, then we don't have unity. But when we are in Christ, we always have unity. But the joke reminded me of what where I'm going today with the passage and that Isn't it amazing that even within Adventism, we could have put the Adventist name in there, and we could have got all the the lines drawn. Even within Adventism, we can still be trying to think who's really in the church and who's not. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are websites out there of Seventh-day Adventist Christians who place names on websites of people who really aren't Adventists. You can find pastors' names. You can find employees who people say really aren't Adventists out there. It's disturbing, isn't it? And it's sad. Because in Christ, we will always have unity. Now, I was warned before that we had a problem with the lights, so these aren't things I've asked scripted into the sermon. So there may be times when the lights uh, trigger, uh, you know. Jerry used to be our Bible teacher at MGA, so he still has that high school kind of feel to him, you know. Trying to spice things up here. (laughs) But uh, anyways... Um, but I want to back up first, because last week we looked at something in Ephesians 2, 1-10. Uh, and it's important for us to kind of go there for a second. Thank you. Uh, I know you're doing everything you can, so whatever happens, happens. We'll go with it. Um, but it's important for us to remember what Paul said before the verses that we're going to look at t- today. And I won't look at all the verses, but last week we looked at Ephesians 2, 1-10, through 10, where Jesus, where Paul reminded us, actually that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That we were completely dead without Christ, and it's because of God, those wonderful words in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, but God, but because of His gracious love for us, His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. All by God's doing, all by God's love, all by His mercy and His compassion, all by His humility to leave heaven And come down here to earth, we are saved. And he raised us up with Christ, it goes on to say, For it is by grace you've been saved, in verse 8, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We have been saved by the grace of God. We were dead in our transgressions, but God loved us so that he saved us. But then we also looked last week that that's not the whole of the gospel our forgiveness of sins, being made right with God. The other part of the Gospel is the good news that Jesus never leaves us where He finds us, but that we get a renewing of the mind. There's a transformation of our character. We become a new creation. And He says in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork now. We're His masterpiece, His work of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He finds us. We were dead. He saves us. He brings us to life. And He breathes new life into us. We are a new creation and we grow in the love and the nature of Christ and in his character. You see, I like what someone said. He said someone once said that if we just look to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but never let him transform our lives, he calls he says, Those type of Christians are what he calls vampire Christians. They just want Jesus for his blood. Just forgive me of my sins. You know, as long as I, I'm forgiven of my sins, then then hopefully, I'll, I'll ha- hopefully I will have asked forgiveness the amount of, of times I should have said when Jesus comes, I'm in right standing with God. That's what we call sin management. And sin management is not a life that's abundant. Just trying, looking to, for grace to manage my sin or to practice what can be called safe sin. I sin and yet Jesus forgives me. I sin and yet Jesus And thank God that He does. But Jesus didn't come for that type of life, did He? He came to give us an abundant life. A life that wells up from within. A life that wells up from His presence within us, in which we grow in loving and forgiving and reconciliation. Not just trying to make it until Jesus comes. We're forgiven, hallelujah, but we are also promised new life. Jesus said, it's something like being born again. Paul goes on now into these other verses in chapter 2 that I want to look at today. In chapter 2, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, I'm going to read through verse 18, and we're going to put it up on the screen for you. He says, Therefore, now you know what he's saying therefore about, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and with, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Now notice over the next four verses how often peace comes up. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. you catch the peace? Peace. Peace. Jesus came to bring peace among people. You see, with the Jews and the Gentiles, if you're from not familiar, God called the Jews for a special purpose. He called them to be a light to the Gentiles. He called them to, be, to bring His love to the world. And yet the Jews started looking inward. They started saying, you know what? We're a pretty special people that God chose us. In fact, we're so special that we better keep ourselves from everybody else. And so they began to cut themselves off from the world. Instead of going into the world, which God wanted them to do, they retreated from the world and just focused on themselves and started saying, we are special. God loves us more than anybody else because he chose us. And so as the temple was built and you go on and you look at the time of Herod's temple, you'll look and you'll see that there is a courtyard of the Gentiles. And the courtyard of the Gentiles was on the furthest outskirts of the temple area. No Gentiles could come anywhere near the inside of the temple. Not even the women were closer than the Gentiles. But Jesus came, and our passage says he preached peace to both. The wall and the barrier of hostility has been removed in Jesus Christ. He came for one, and that's why Jesus came. He came and he preached to the Gentiles. He preached to the Jews and the Gentiles. He went to the prostitute. He went to the leper. He went to everybody that the Jews thought, what is he touching that person for? He's unclean. But that's the way Jesus works. He came so that we might have peace with God. And he came that we might also have peace with one another. A new humanity, our passage tells us. And then Paul goes on in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, verse 22, and he says, consequently, as a result of all of this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Basically, not the people, but the message that they preached of the Christ. With Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together To become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. See, as a result of this, Paul says, we are being built into this living temple. Paul says elsewhere, remember, you are the temple of God in which the Spirit of God dwells. And together, it's like this beautiful temple, the people of God, full of God's presence of grace and mercy and great love and unity because they're in Christ. He says Christ is that chief cornerstone. Now you know if you've ever done any building that your cornerstone is going to lay out everything about that building being right or off. If your cornerstone is just a little bit off, you're going to look at the building afterwards like this. Something went wrong. You see, if it's just a little off, it just begins to really get worse as it's built. It might be slanted, wall's different, but if that cornerstone is just right, everything will be level and everything will be right. And Paul is saying, If Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, we will be unified. We will be in unity because Christ is the cornerstone. And where Christ is, unity happens and there is peace. Now everybody may not agree with what Jesus has to say. Everybody may not like Jesus' brand of peace and unity but it will be in accordance with the will of God. It will be in accordance to who Christ is and who God is. See, Jesus prayed, if you remember that prayer in John 17, on that evening when He prayed to the Father, in verses 21-23 through of John 17. This was part of His prayer. My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus said. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message, which is you and I today. You know, it's pretty easy for us to get focused on ourselves, isn't it? You do it, I do it, everybody does it. And every once in a while you're kind of amazed yourself, you go, know, wow, that was pretty selfish of me to think that or to do that. What was I, what was I thinking? But you know, the waters we swim in, the waters we swim in here in North America are the waters of consumerism. You know, the the air we breathe is full of Consumerism. And before we know it, our life really starts getting focused on us being the cornerstone. On us saying, Well, what's in it for me? You know? We can even look at churches like that, right? If I come to this church, what do I get? What do I get if I come to this church? What do I get if I come to this church? And what do I get if I come to this church? The last I knew that the head of the church said, What are you going to give to be part of this church? He says, You're going to have to give your life. You're going to have to give your attitudes, you're going to have to give your egos, you're going to have to check them all at the door because there's a cross involved in my church. It's called dying so that you might live. It's called losing yourself that you might find yourself. It's the upside-down kingdom. You know, we can go through this life protecting and trying to, protect, trying to protect and build up our own kingdoms when Jesus reminds us that there isn't a kingdom that's going to stand in the end, but God. Jesus came to remind us. You see, there are four questions I just quickly want to bring to your attention today that I I often think about. And a a Christian philosopher once brought my attention to these questions. He said, there's four questions that everybody has to really answer. Whether Whether you consciously do this or not, you have to answer these questions. And every great teacher in philosophy or religion has to address these questions. And the first one is, what is the nature of reality? What is reality? The other one is, who is really well off in this life? And the third one is, who is really a good person? And finally, the last question is, how do you get to be a really good person? Four questions that really come down to the bottom line of what life is about. And Jesus answered all these questions. And I love the way that he answered them. He said, what's the nature of reality? He said, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what reality is all about, right? Jesus came and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Repent means to think about the way you've been thinking about things. Because the kingdom of God is now here and anyone can come in who wants to come in. I am the door. Then he said, who is really well off in this life? He said, basically anyone who's alive in the kingdom of God is well off. Isn't that what the Beatitudes were all about? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are all these people that you wouldn't think were part of the kingdom of God. He says, you're blessed. You're happy now because the kingdom of God has come to you and you can get in on it. So no matter what state you find yourself in life, financially, physically, mentally, anything, you name it, you can be well off because you can be alive in the kingdom of God. He says, "Who is really a good person?" Looked at the religious leaders, and they were all behaving properly. It looked, it appeared, anyways. Who is really a good person? Jesus basically said, "A really good person is someone who's pervaded with agape love. Somebody who is pervaded with the sacrificial love of God." And then finally, how do you get to be a really good person? Jesus said these words: "Come, follow me. Come, follow me." And learn how to live a life alive in the kingdom of God, pervaded with agape love in this world. You see, those are the questions that Jesus brings and Paul brings to the reality of what Jesus preached. When I believe those things, then I move away from myself. And the kingdom of God is everything. God's love for myself and God's love for others is amazing. You know that passage It says, love your neighbor as yourself? I think that's part of the problem. Sometimes we're all loving our neighbors like we love ourselves. And a lot of us don't love ourselves very much. But God loves us beyond our understanding. And we have to receive that love. And as we live that love and accept that love, then God's love begins to move out of us, out of this new creation. Out of this new creation where the barriers... Gone between people, but He has come and He's brought peace. You see, but God, but God, through Jesus Christ, has brought this love. I want us to remember, how did God show His love to us? Through the humility of Christ. Christ emptied Himself, the Scripture says. He humbled Himself, took on the form of a man was obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross, to show us God's love if there's going to be peace, if Christ is the center of who we are and living within us, there's going to be a lot of humility. There's going to be a lot of reconciliation, of saying, I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of forgiveness. There's going to be conversations that we may not feel comfortable having that God is inviting us to. Reconciliation at the workplace. Reconciliation at home. Reconciliation at school reconciliation in our denomination. You see, and this is where we were going with the children's story this morning. If Christ is not our cornerstone, we will settle for a cheap imitation of unity. And it's called uniformity. Kind of looks like unity, kind of smells like unity, but it's far from unity. If we can, you see, if we don't want to do the hard work of loving people, and getting into the messy conversations that make things right and bring peace in the body of Christ and in the world, we will settle for uniformity because it's much easier. If we all just look alike, we all use the same lingo, we all eat the same food, we all do those things, it looks like unity. But if Christ isn't reigning, there is no unity in that church. It just looks like it. Unity and uniformity are nowhere near the same My question for us today is, what do we want as Christians? Peace or power? Because Jesus comes to bring peace. And I will remind you that one of the names that we love at Christmas time for our Savior is what? Prince of Peace. He's a leader in peace. I was watching TV a couple of weeks ago, and this guy who had a brilliant mind, he was working with car salesmen. He was trying to help them how to use subliminal messaging to get people to buy cars they didn't intend to buy. So I thought I should watch. (laughs) So I could learn all the techniques and not walk off with a car that I didn't want. And he did some amazing things. He showed. He did one thing, for instance, where he he had a tie in a box and he got this car salesman on the other side of the table and he he held the tie underneath the box and he opened up the box and he had the car salesman hold the tie underneath the table, couldn't see it. He says, can you, by touching this tie, tell me what color it is and what design it has on it? He said, no way, that's impossible okay. He took his other hand, and he was going to snap his fingers in front of him. He says, when I snap my finger, I want you to right then think of the color of the tie you want it to be and the design that's on that tie. He says, ready? Go. And he said, blue tie with white polka dots. He says, okay, pull up the tie. It was a blue tie with white polka dots. Impressive, right? Then they showed you how they did it. They were sitting next to a window where cars were driving by. And right when he was snapping his finger, they had a car drive by that was blue. With what? White polka dots. (laughs) So it entered his mind. That's what he thought of right when he snapped his his fingers. He went on and he showed all these other things of how you can get control of situations. And this one stuck with me. He says, when you go to shake a car salesman's hand, he said, always try to get the upper hand. My time's up. (laughs) And he said, because when you do the upper hand, that is power and control. A car salesman will always try to do that. You never, he says, want to come in like this because this is humility and you never want to do humility. And he says, in fact, if he forces you and doesn't give up that play that you're doing there and he gets you to do this, then you reach over your other hand and put it on top of his, then you're back in control. Now, I'm not telling you this to go out there and try to get control. I'm telling you this because I was sad because it showed us how opposite we are of what Jesus taught us. Jesus says, do this. Jesus says, be humble. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's not about power. Jesus was never about power. Jesus was about love and humility, reconciliation, peace, and forgiveness. And I thought, there is the contrast of the kingdom of God in our culture. Jesus says it's about humility. Prince of peace. Our relationships are messy in the church and outside of the church. But Jesus is asking us to do this. It's about peace. Peace. He came preaching peace, for he himself is our peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. It's late, but I'm going to close with a story because I think you'll be interested in the story. A guy named Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does. Fascinating book. He tells this story in chapter four of his book. He said he and his wife have a house by the sea and by this, by this harbor. And they often at night like to sit on the back porch of their house, holding hands, watching couples walk by, holding hands on this wonderful grass path right by the water. And their porch is close enough that, you know, they wave to the couples and the couples wave to them. And it's a warm, fuzzy moment. One evening, he said, this man came running by himself and he was waving and he wouldn't stop waving. And he kept waving, and he kept waving. He said, pretty soon it was so awkward, I decided I'm going to go meet the man. So he walked down, he went, and he, he said, just to get the guy to stop waving, he went to shake his hand. And he said, hi, I'm Bob. He says, I'm Ryan. He says, I have a question for you. He says, um, I have this girl that I'm in love with, and I want to propose to her. Could I use your backyard? He said, I didn't know the guy, but I, I guess that's okay. He says, sure, go get your girl, and you can do that. So the guy left, and a couple days later, Ryan came back and he's waving by himself again. And Bob says, "There he is. Okay, he went down. Says, Ryan, how you doing? Are, are we are we going to do this?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have another question for you." He says, "Would you mind if I used your porch and have dinner, you know, on your porch?" And he said, "I guess not. You know why not? Let's do that. So, okay, I'll be back." A couple days later, Ryan comes back again, waving, and he comes. He says, do, "Do you mind if if not only do I have dinner, but can I invite some friends to serve the dinner?" And he said, "Sure. What are we thinking?" And he's thinking two or three. And he goes, Oh I don't know, like 20. No. Sure, bring your twenty friends. We'll we'll do this thing. A couple days later, Ryan comes back again, and he says, uh, "Just one more question. Do you have any speakers you could put up? Because I'm thinking like I could we could be on the porch there, have a wonderful dinner. My friends will serve it, and then when my friends all leave, maybe we'll we'll slow dance a nice song together. You know? And sure, I'll find some speakers. We'll we'll get that together for you." few days pass, and Bob says, Ryan's not showing up. I'm starting to get a little, little discouraged because I'm getting into this thing, you know? I'm like kind of getting excited. This is contagious. Ryan comes a few days later, huffing and puffing. He comes up there, and he can like hardly breathe. He says, what's up, Ryan? He goes, I'm wondering, do you have a boat? <laughs> he's like, actually, I do have a boat. <laughs> can I use it? Okay, we're working. So they work it out. They work it out that, that Bob's going to get them on their boat, and he's going to pop the question while he's on the boat. So the evening comes, but Bob says, Bob says this, he says, I wanted to one-up him a little bit without him knowing it. He says, he said this in his book, to Ryan, the whole world was full of co-conspirators when it came to winning over his love. He was completely unaware of and unimpeded by what was proper, what was acceptable, what was conventional. Nothing was going to get in the way of what he decided he was going to do. And so the night came. Bob had called the Coast Guard to get involved in this boat ride. So Ryan and his girlfriend come. And as they're coming, they're coming into the backyard. And, and Bob says, I can see the girl. She's going, is this okay? Are we going to get in trouble? What's, what's going on? No, no, it's okay. It's okay. There's this wonderful candlelit table, you know, on the back porch. And meal's there. And 20 of their friends are there to serve them the meal. The friends leave. The music starts. They dance together. They start walking down the path, hand in hand, going towards the harbor. And there's the boat waiting for them. They get on the boat. Bob is standing there at the helm. They go to the front of the boat. The boat takes off. When it gets to the right location, the boat stops. Ryan gets down on one knee. And the backdrop behind Ryan on the harbor are 50 of his friends with 50 candles spelling out, Will you marry me? She says, Yes. Right? We all hope she says yes. She says yes. And right when she says yes, Bob gives the thumbs up to the Coast Guard and they fire off every water cannon they have on their boat. He says it looked like the 4th of July in front of the Statue of Liberty. And it was amazing. Ryan's love was contagious. Isn't Christ's love contagious? When we know Christ and He's the cornerstone, it's out of control. He actually asks us to go talk to people who have offended us. He actually talks to us about forgiving people. He actually talks to us about reconciling differences with people. It's out of control. But when Christ is in our life, we have unity and we have peace. For there is always unity in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coming. And thank you, as the word says, you are self. You, Yourself, are our peace. He Himself is our peace. Lord, there is no one and nothing else that will bring bring peace to our life. In our inner journey, peace with You, and there is no one else who will bring peace to our relationships in our outer journey. May we allow You to be the cornerstone of our life, the cornerstone of our church, May we allow you to lead us into unity with each other and those around us. Take a moment now in silent prayer to listen to Jesus draw you into his peace with him and with others.